Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is focused on one of the 12 steps of AA. John Glenn taught the 12 steps to the church because Alpha Ministries contends that all people need recovery from something. And the 12 steps is the best program out there and most closely reflects the idea of discipleship and relationship Jesus had in mind. Enjoy and glean from the message. And remember, one day at a time. I want to look at the fourth step tonight with you as a as part of the lifestyle of recovery. And by lifestyle of recovery, I mean it's something that we've got to learn to do every day. It's just kind of like a, a daily kind of exercise, almost um, as common as you've got to eat every day, you've got to drink every day. You actually need to do a fourth step every day. And the reality is, in the 12 steps of AA, ideally for it to be a lifestyle of recovery, all those 12 steps need to be done every day uh, to some extent or another. Now, obviously, you're not going to take the time to consciously think about each step when you do them, but the principles behind the 12 steps, the principles of recognition that you are powerless and your life is unmanageable if left up to you, the principle of believing that a power greater than you can restore you to sanity, can do for you what you can't do for yourself, the principle of turning your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand him. Those principles are in operation in our life every single day. And so when we come to the fourth step, this principle, even though it's somewhat scary as we're going to talk about tonight, it is just as vital that it be done daily. And so in order for it to be done daily, you have to figure out a way to do it quickly and almost without even thinking about it, just become kind of, quote, second nature to you. That's what I want to try to accomplish tonight in our study on the fourth step. Let's just review the step here real quick. It says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now that sounds like a mouthful here, so let's take it apart. First of all, the main emphasis on the fourth step is that it's a moral inventory. What do we mean by an inventory? You take stock of yourself. You look at yourself. So obviously the fourth step incorporates a measure of introspection. In other words, we've got to look at ourselves, look, look into the mirror and see ourselves. And then it's a moral inventory, meaning that we're not looking at ourselves and our physical characteristics or attributes. We're not looking at ourselves financially. We're not looking at ourselves in any other way, but a moral way. We're looking at ourselves morally. How do we stack up morally in ourselves? And then the other aspect that I want to really focus in on tonight is that in order to look at yourself in that way, to take that kind of an inventory, you're going to have to do it honestly by doing a searching, meaning nothing left undone, nothing left out, and a fearless moral inventory. And in order to help you understand all of that, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going through in this series each uh, step according to what the big book describes, even though we're using the big book as a text for our study. 
I want to go beyond the big book. I want to add to it some concepts, some biblical, spiritual concepts that I think are vital for us to be able to understand what's meant. And when it comes to the fourth step particularly, there are some things we have to understand that's implied in the first three steps that if we don't understand, we're not going to be able to be able to do a fearless moral inventory. We can still do somewhat of a moral inventory, but to do a searching and fearless moral inventory is going to require a little more information about ourselves than what is available to us in just simply the fourth step of the big book. Even though it's implied by example, it's not specifically stated. So that's what I want us to look at in this session. I want us to look at the concepts underlying the fourth step and to do so in a way that will make it easy for us or easier, I should say, for us to do a fourth step regularly on a daily basis. In order to do that, I'm going to have to refer you once again to a series, another series that uh, we've done called the Alpha Series, and particularly that portion of the Alpha Series that has to do with your identity as a person. In order to look at yourself, we're really talking about looking at your own identity. We're looking about, talking about looking at who you are. So when the fourth step says we make a searching and moral, uh, fearless moral inventory of ourselves, we're talking about our identity and our identity in terms of our morality. Basically, to put it in plain, simple English, what we're looking at and what we're afraid of when we do look at it is, am I a good person or am I a bad person? And specifically, as is implied in the next several steps, steps five, six, and seven, we're going to be looking at characteristics of ourselves which some people may use to tell us we're a bad person. For instance, in step five, he says, we're going to confess to God, ourselves, and others the exact nature of our, what, anybody know? Our wrongs. Now, wrong doesn't sound good, does it? Doesn't sound like you're looking at yourself as being right or righteous. We're looking at your wrongs, not your rights, in the fourth step. In the sixth step, we're entirely ready to have God do something about our, what does he use there? Anybody know? Our character defects. I like that term. Character defects. Now, I know a lot of you are characters, but we're not just talking about your personality structure here. We're talking about the fact that you've got a character defect. You are defective in your character in some way. Again, moral, the fourth step is a moral inventory of not only your wrongs, but also your character defects. And then when you get into step seven, where we humbly ask God to remove, they use a different term, our shortcomings. Okay, so you've got wrongs, you've got a character defect, and you've got a shortcoming. Now, that doesn't sound positive here. It sounds kind of negative. So when we do this moral inventory, preparing us for that, steps five, six, and seven, then we're not going to be looking at the good stuff. We're going to be looking at the, quote, bad stuff. In order to do that, not only in a searching way, meaning honest and detailed way, but to do that fearlessly requires a special concept that I want to take a little time to share with you. It's not in the big book, although it's implied 
throughout the big book, it's not specifically addressed. And that's what I want to share with you tonight about your moral character, whether you are good or bad. And in order for us to, to identify and do a healthy fourth step, we're going to have to come to grips with this. Now, what makes this so scary and makes us so nervous is that intuitively we've known from the time we're born that we are somehow worth less. In other words, we're born kind of in the condition that Adam and Eve were in the garden right after they ate the forbidden fruit. We are born naked and ashamed. And that is an intuitive part of our characteristics. Psychologists have bannered around a lot. The father of modern psychology, Freud, uh, went so far as to postulate that all mankind is by nature evil. That we have an evil disposition. We're born that way. This is why you don't have to teach one and two year old children to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to just hang on to their own stuff and not share with their buddies. Why? They're selfish by nature. So we know that about ourselves kind of intuitively. And so when we come to the fourth step and we say, now I've got to be looking at these character defects, these shortcomings, these wrongs, we get defensive. Just like any, anybody else would, naturally, we're going to get defensive when we start talking about things that are wrong with us because none of us like to identify ourselves as being a bad person. We want to think that we are basically a good person. In fact, we'll even use that term a lot of times. I'm basically a good person. Well, tonight I want to give you a little help with that. Tonight, in order for you to be able to do a good fourth step, I want, it, want you to be able to see yourself not as a good or bad person, but I want you to see yourself as a new person, a brand new person. Now, in order to do that, again, I'll refer you back to that identity section in the Alpha series for a more detailed discussion of this, but I want to at least hit the highlights for you tonight. According to the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us we couldn't do for ourselves, God has made us a brand new person. And that brand new person that we are essentially has no character defects, none whatsoever, has no wrongs, has done no wrong and will do no wrong, none, zero. That new person God has made us to be in Christ has absolutely no shortcomings. I like that verse in Romans chapter 6 that says, Essentially, God's standard for all the human race is his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the standard right up here. And then it goes on to say, we've all sinned and fallen short of that standard, the glory of God, which is Jesus Christ. So naturally, we've got this innate sense that we are worth less. We've got this innate sense that there's something wrong with us, that we have character defects that we're going to have to work hard to make up for. But the good news of the gospel comes along and says, no, no, no. God, by what he's done for you, has made you a brand new person. Now, specifically where we learn about all this is in Romans chapter 6. Obviously, I'm not going to have the time in the space of this session tonight to go through all that in detail. Again, I just want to hit the high points. How did God make you a brand new person? When God joined you to Christ, you became a brand new person. Well, when did that happen? 
Let's put it in terms of our 12 steps. If you've done the first three steps and you were sincere about those first three steps, you realized you were powerless and your life was unmanageable, you came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity, and you actually turned, made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood it. You were joined to Christ. Biblically, you became one with him. It is by your faith, that authentic faith we talked about back in step two, your faith in what God says he did for you that makes you one with Christ in your experience. So God joined you to Christ. In Romans 6, he tells you about that. He tells you the details of that. He says, number one, you were joined to him in his crucifixion. So that as far as God is concerned, when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, you, the person that you were born into this world as, also died. You were crucified with him. Now, I know this is not your experience, and we spend a great deal of time on this in the office series and trying to help people come to grips with this. I'll just mention this to you in passing very quickly. It's not in your experience that you were joined to Christ in your death. You do not remember being crucified. There may be a lot of things that you've forgotten over your lifetime, but if someone had crucified you like they did Jesus, you would surely remember that, and that's not in your memory. You don't have that in your experience. So what we're talking about here is basically just simply what God says is true. Not what you experience as being true, what you feel might be true, but what God says is true. He says you were crucified. The old person that you were, born into this world as, was crucified with Christ and buried with him. And he further goes on to say in Romans 6 that a new person was raised up for this reason that you might be able to walk in newness of life, which is King James English for that you might be able to be in recovery, that you might be able to recover from your addiction. To walk in newness of life is the ultimate goal. Recovery is the ultimate goal. So what did God do for you that you couldn't do for yourself to help you in that? He made you a brand new person. He crucified the old person you were, buried that person, and raised him up. But this is so difficult for us to grab hold of. This is so hard. If that were really true, we think, we reason in our minds naturally, if that were really true, if I was a really brand new person created in Christ, then I would have no wrongs, I would have no shortcomings, I would have no character defects, because I'm a brand new person in Christ, so why should I do a four-step? See what the problem is here? There's no reason to do a fourth step if I don't have any character defects. There's no reason to do a fourth step if I, don't, if, if I haven't done anything wrong. There's no reason to do a fourth step if I'm this brand new person with no shortcomings. Or is there? So let's, let's look at this a little deeper. Even though you're this person, according to the gospel, you're a brand new person in Christ, born of the Spirit. You see... What Jesus described as being born again is us receiving a new identity. Being born again is Jesus' terms for new identity. 
It's what he told that religious leader named Nicodemus that he needed. He needed to be born again. Nicodemus, you need a new identity. And what he described as being born again, becoming a new person, is what we're talking about as happening to us in the first three steps. The first three steps of the program essentially is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you're born again. When you recognize you're powerless, you believe that a power greater than you can restore you to sanity, and you willfully, consciously make a decision to turn your will and your life over to his care, you're born again. You receive a new identity. So then why shouldn't we just quit the program then? And by the way, a lot of people do. They quit the program right at that point because, not because they don't think they don't have any faults, but they're so happy that they've got a relationship established with God, they think, okay, that's all I need. I don't need steps 4 through 12. I just need the first three steps. And obviously, but sadly, they promptly go back out and wind up back in the, in the throes of their addiction again. Well, what's the necessity for the fourth step then? If we're born again and we're a brand new person, why should we have to do a fourth step? Because of this simple reality. The simple reality is that even though you yourself are a new person, you are still living in the same body you were born with that has resident within it, that body you were born with, all of the leftover conditioning from your previous life and lifestyle as that old man, what the Bible calls the old man. Now here's where it starts to get a little technical and a little difficult, so I'm going to give you an outline tonight, or a diagram I should say, to help you understand a little bit of the differences in what we're talking about. I'm going to use a very simple, simple diagram to help you keep in mind, consciously to keep in mind, these concepts that we're talking about about a new man and an old man and about being born again and the need for the fourth step. It starts out with just simply a picture represented by this circle of your physical body. This is just your physical body. It's neutral, we, sh we should say. It's not sinful by nature, as some philosophers believe. It's not... Uh, spiritual it's physical it's a physical house you live in it's a physical body that you the person you are actually has had since you were born physically into this world within that body throughout your lifetime you have a set of circumstances good bad or ugly that constitute and form what psychologists would call your personality now, everybody has a personality you may have the personality of a warthog but you still have a personality Everybody's personality is different. It's a sum total of good things that have happened to you throughout your life, represented by these little pluses, and bad things that have happened to you. Good, bad, and ugly things that have happened to you. That constitutes your personality content. It makes up who you are. So this person that you are, living in this physical body, naturally is presented in the scriptures as being somewhat of a negative picture. In fact, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, naturally the Bible presents this natural person that we are in this world as being essentially dysfunctional to one degree or another. Now, 
What happens when you get this new identity? What happens when you are, as Jesus said, born again? When you are joined to Christ? When you do the first three steps? What happens to you? The way I represent that in this diagram is within this same body, within the person that you were, there's a solid triangle. A little solid triangle represents what the Bible calls the new man. Don't worry about the word man here. Okay, it's a generic term that represents a new person. You're a brand new person. As opposed to what did inhabit the body called the old man, which we said was crucified with Christ. But how do we designate that? How do we, how do we show that in a diagram? Well, our old man is crucified with Christ, and a new man inhabits the same physical body we were born with, but we still have something else left up here. We have all of the conditioning of the old man. The Bible calls this, that conditioning surrounding the old man, the flesh. When the Bible uses the term flesh, now don't confuse it with your physical body. If it's referring to your physical body, the Bible will use the term flesh and blood. If it's just talking about this sinful, dysfunctional nature, selfish nature that we're born with, it uses the term flesh. So now get this picture. In this same body you've got, even after you've done the first three steps, even after you've gone through those first three steps and you've developed this wonderful relationship to God, you've been joined inseparably to Christ, you have become a new man, look where you're living, in the same body that you were born with. And guess what else is in that same body with you? All that conditioning, all that self-centered dysfunctional conditioning. So immediately there begins to be a war between, inside of you, between what the Bible calls your flesh and the new man. So once we've done the first three steps, yes, we've become a new man, but that's all that's changed. Can you imagine? You do steps one, two, and three in your recovery program, and you're so excited because you're joined to Christ, and for the first time in your life, if you've had that spiritual awakening the big book talks about, or that spiritual experience, you're so excited because you have this new sense of serenity or peace. The burdens have, quote, been lifted off of you, however you want to express it. You feel so good, and you quick run and look in the mirror. What do you see? Same old person you were before. Nothing happened to that body of yours. Was there a change in your life? Oh yeah, there was a tremendous change. But where did that change occur? It occurred inwardly. It occurred inside of you, in the spirit man you were. The old spirit man, in all of its dysfunction, was crucified with Christ, buried with him. A brand new spirit man is raised up, a new spiritual being. So you are now a brand new spiritual being living in the same old body that still has the presence of the flesh. That's why we've got to do a fourth step, fifth step, sixth step, seventh step. That's why we've got to go on in the program. That's why these other concepts are so vital to a lifestyle of recovery.
because being born again, saved, having a conversion experience, a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience of one sort or another, good as that is, it's not sufficient for a lifestyle of recovery by itself. Why? Because we're still living in the same body we had. We're still living in that same body with all the conditioning, years of conditioning of the flesh. So when we do a fourth step, what we're really looking at are the wrongs, the character defects, the shortcomings of the flesh, our flesh. Now many people have made this false assumption that going back to our diagram on the board, that because you, the new person you are, are not your flesh, then you are not responsible when you do bad things. See, we've fallen into that trap on occasion. People who are born of the Spirit, people who actually do the first three steps of the program, who are joined to Christ, get the idea, well, I'm this brand new person, and according to Romans chapter 6, now check this out, according to Romans chapter 6, you are commanded by God himself in verse 11 to count on the fact that yourself are dead indeed unto sin. What does that mean? That means you're commanded to count on the fact that you cannot sin. There's no way for you to sin. It's impossible. Why? Because you're this brand new person. So this brand new person that has the righteousness of Christ never has sinned, is not sinning now, never will sin. Focusing in on that new identity, many believers actually make this serious mistake. They think, well, then I'm not responsible for my flesh because I'm a brand new person. I didn't sin. It wasn't me that did it. Like Paul said in Romans 7, it's no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. It's no longer me, it's my flesh. And they can use that as an excuse. But here's the problem. Think about it real practically and logically. If it's not you doing those dysfunctional things or you falling off into dysfunction, it's your flesh. It doesn't really matter because you are living slap dab in the middle of your flesh. I've used the silly, worn out uh, type of illustration that if I got tired of driving my old truck and decided I was going to rip off a new one because I didn't have enough money to buy it and the cops busted me, I'd just simply tell them, it's not me that did it, it's my flesh. And they would be oh so kind as to tell me that they were not going to arrest me. They were going to arrest my flesh. They were not going to bust me, they were going to bust my flesh. They were not going to book me, they were going to book my flesh. They were not going to put me in jail because I'm this new person that doesn't sin. They were going to put my flesh in jail. What's the obvious problem here? Me and the flesh are living in the same body. So it's not a cop-out. It's not an excuse. But the separation of the distinction between you and the flesh is the necessary authentic faith that has to be carried on in to step forward to actually do a healthy step forward. And this is the reason why. If you cannot separate you, the true person you are, from your flesh, 
you will spend all of your time rationalizing, justifying, minimizing, projecting, trying to defend your flesh. You will not get honest about it and therefore cannot do a searching and fearless moral inventory. You'll be too defensive. You'll be too worried. But if you, on the other hand, are able to distinguish between you and your flesh, you can therefore step back and objectively say, it's not me that has these shortcomings, these wrongs, these character defects, but it's my flesh. Now that may seem like a technical fine point. It may seem like we're splitting hairs here, but emotionally it's vital. It's absolutely essential for you to get honest about the shortcomings of your flesh, about the wrongs of your flesh, about the failures of your flesh is absolutely essential. Otherwise, you can't do steps five, six, and seven. You can't move on in your recovery. And the only way you'll really get honest about that is to have the boldness, the courage that comes from being able to identify yourself as being different from your flesh. Supposing that we've done that now. The first, the faith in the first three steps, we've understood to this extent to where we are now able to separate ourselves from our flesh. The second and most common mistake that people make in doing a fourth step is that they get the idea because they are responsible for their flesh, because it's not a cop-out to say, I'm not my flesh, it's not me that did it, it's my flesh, Assuming that responsibility, they fall off in the other ditch. You see, the one ditch is no responsibility. The other ditch is over-responsibility, and they fall off into this ditch. They don't want to do a fourth step because they believe that if they identify these wrongs, these shortcomings, these character defects, that they then would be responsible to change those shortcomings, wrongs character defects. That's not what a fourth step is about. A fourth step is not about your promising to change what you see as, as a matter of fact, that will destroy recovery as much as denying what's wrong. You see, remember that recovery is all about what God is doing for you that you can't do for yourself. And when it comes to the fourth step, what it's about is how God is going to use his means, his methods, his power that's greater than you, remember, how God is going to use his own grace to change that flesh. It's what God is going to do about that flesh that's important, not what you're going to do about it. Your only job in the fourth step is to identify it. That's all. Your job is to identify it and trust God to change it. That's all. And we'll see that as it unfolds. Remember these steps are a package. They all go together ultimately. But it's particularly when we get to step four now, we're looking at a package that includes step four, five, six, and seven. They all go together because they all concern this one issue and that's you developing a relationship that's healthy with yourself the way you look at yourself, the way you see yourself.
has got to be developed in a healthy way. Those four steps in particular, four, five, six, and seven, talk about your relationship to yourself. In order to do that, you have to be honest from that objective view, applying the gospel, the good news, that God has separated from your flesh. Step back in an objective view of your flesh to see yourself the way God sees you and to agree with him about that. When you agree with God about your flesh, you actually done the beginning of a fifth step, and it's God's job to change the flesh, not your job. So when you get ready to do a fourth step, don't get worried about, well, if I identify this, I'm going to have to change it, and I'm not sure I can, so I won't. You see, that's a trap. That's a trap that keeps us from doing a real fourth step. What we need to do in a fourth step is just to be as objective as possible with our wrongs, our shortcomings, our character defects, with the hope and the faith that produces that hope that God is going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Now, one other component of the fourth step I want to mention to you very quickly. Again, this component is covered more thoroughly in the Alpha series, but at this point, I think it's, it bears uh, mentioning at least as to the method of the fourth step. And I want to give you this method very quickly before we run out of time tonight. We'll come back and be using this method on the other steps. But I want you to start, first of all, in trying to identify the flesh. I want you to start with a situation that you encounter. Any situation. It can be a relational situation, a situation on the job, in the home, whatever situation there is um, that you, you start with. You're looking at yourself in this situation, in any given situation. Now, typically what people do is they find a situation that, that arouses them emotionally, that causes them to be upset, and they'll identify in that situation, first of all, what went on, what took place, who said what to who, who did what to who. You just identify objectively the situation. But then to do the fourth step, Here's the methodology we, we utilize. It's called, I call it simply, the trip in. You're looking inside, because remember, a fourth step's about you. It's not taking a moral inventory of someone else, which, by the way, is usually a lot easier to do than to look at ourselves. But the fourth step is looking at yourself, so we're going to look beneath the situation to the behavior. We're going to look at what you did or said in that situation. Honestly, just recollect, write down, jot down what you did in that situation. This is a situation that took place, and this is what I did. This is what I said in that situation. But then, using that behavior, we're going to look a step beneath that behavior at your feelings or your emotions in that situation. What were you feeling? What was going on emotionally in you? in that situation. Now typically again we're going to try to water it down a little bit. Well I was hurt. No you're not hurt. You're in despair. Go go as deep can with those emotions. Typically people will say well that situation made me mad. And I said or did this because I was mad. No the situation didn't make you just mad. It caused you to experience hatred. Remember got about 30 seconds to believe the gospel and your anger turns into hatred. 
You've got about 30 seconds to believe the gospel and your hurt turns into self-pity and whining. You've got about 30 seconds to believe the gospel and apply it to yourself or your fear, your objective threat and fear will turn into anxiety and worry. When we do the fourth step in the trip-in methodology, we're looking for the real feelings. So do a searching. Remember, this is a searching moral inventory. We're not just looking for negative emotions here. We're looking for those destructive, what the Bible calls the sinful emotions as well. But we're still not there. We've got one more level. In that trip-in, underneath those emotions, you are hurt, you are angry, you are hating, you are depressed, you are worried or anxious because of what you were thinking. So you're going to examine your beliefs to do a thorough fourth step, to do a real trip in. You're going to finally get down to what am I believing about myself in that situation? And what you're going to find, again I'll refer you back to the Alpha Series for more detail, what you're going to find there is a whole host of lies about you as a person you're going to find what I refer to as false assumptions at the core. In any given situation, you're going to be plagued with a multitude of false assumptions about your worth, lies about you as a person not being secure, not being loved, accepted, or forgiven, you as a person not being significant, not being important, having meaning or purpose in your life, or being adequate. These lies, these underlying basic lies, core beliefs, are at the core of any trip in that we do. Now, why would we want to do that? To do a healthy fourth step. You can't just get below, you've got to get below the situation. You can't just deal with the situation or even your behavior or even your emotions. You need to get down to your beliefs. What are you believing about yourself? In order to do a complete searching moral inventory, you've got to include the beliefs about what it is you were involved in in any given situation. Again, what we're looking for here specifically is to expose the lies about your worth. You see, you can't counter those lies about your worth, your security, your significance as a person. You can't counter those lies with the truth unless you know they're there. The purpose of the fourth step is to help you identify the lies that are plaguing you on the inside. So this little methodology I just simply call the trip in is very useful, a useful kind of methodology or plan. They have a, a similar version of this, not an exact version, but a similar version of this recorded for you in the big book uh, where they actually ask you to write down certain situations. There's a little table they present to you. But I suggest that you do a trip in more in detail so that you're ready to do the fifth step. We'll pick up with fifth step in our next session. So we're going to quit here. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes. <laughs>